Well, good morning. It's uh, there you go. You're you're with it. That's that's wonderful. Uh, my name's Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. Uh, so if you've been coming here before, I even showed up a year and a half ago. I still want to welcome you. And if this is your first time, uh, welcome. Uh, it's it's uh, Wellhouse is such a unique uh, church. It's, it's not just that we meet in a roller skating rink. That would be unique in and of itself. But that's really not what makes us unique. Uh, I really think we have an authentic group of people who truly cares about the world around us and wants to serve and love and show the love of Christ uh, through us while while God is continually transforming us into his likeness. And I love that. And, and so uh, I appreciate being able to be a part of that uh, myself. Uh, we, we are, today we're starting a new series, uh, and the series is called For Me. I don't know how many basketball fans we have uh, today with us or joining us online. Uh, I don't always watch a whole lot of college basketball, but when it comes time for March Madness, I am all in, right? How many of you, when it comes time, maybe it's, you're into the Sweet 16, or there's two of us. All right, we'll talk later. <laughs> I'm going to scrap half of the sermon, and we're just going to... I'm kidding. We're not. That's that would be weird if that were half the sermon. Um, bracket breakdowns or something. Um, I I love it so much that the last several years, what I've done with my family is I printed off uh, the brackets and uh, I make everyone fill one out, you know, and then I incentivize it with a gift card and and uh, they care a little bit, and I care a lot, right? And uh, I update it daily, multiple times a day, so they know where the standings are. Not like anybody else cares but me. But still, it's a lot of fun, right? And I love watching the games, and I love watching people get into those kinds of things. It's just fun. It's interesting. It's fun. And I love to see people who go all out for it. You know what I'm talking about. They're the people who, you know, they paint their face, they, they paint their chest, they, they have everything that, they, you know, everything is going on, and they are completely for a team going, right? And some of you, you were completely for a team, and then they went out the first day of everything, and you're like, I don't know what to do now, right? It's nice to see people for something. And in your life, some of you, you've had people for you. Some of you were fortunate enough, others of you did not have this, but some of you did. You had people, you grew up in a house, and you had a parent or parents who were for you. And, and it, you, maybe you, you, know, you went through some weird styles and, and weird seasons of your life, and it didn't matter what was going on, you knew you had people that were for you. Right, And it, maybe it was a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it was a friend, somebody a little bit older than you. And you just knew without a shadow of a doubt, no matter what happened, even in some of the worst decisions of your life, you knew that they were for you. And what I want to let you know is that the Bible is a story of God for you. That's what the that's what the the Bible really is is a is a compilation of how God is continually it kind of everything really happens pretty early on in Genesis right God creates all this wonderful stuff and then and then man comes along and we break it all right we were pretty familiar with that ever made your fair share of mistakes just me cool um, it's all right it doesn't have to be a museum we can go back and forth on this thing okay. 
Uh, I've made, all right, I will claim this. I've made my fair share of mistakes. If you have, wonderful for you as well. Um, And then the rest of the Bible, literally, the rest of the Bible, from, from the early part of Genesis on, is God showing how much he's for you. Let that sink in. So whenever you're like, you know, there's parts of the, bo- the Bible that are boring or that I don't understand, just know that it's, it's God's story for you. And in fact, the whole life of Jesus, right, God's one and only son coming down from heaven to earth, living 30 years, then starting his ministry, which led up to a cross, was all for you. See, you have a God that's not far off. He's not distant. He is completely, 100%, almost from the beginning of the creation of the world for you. And he's told the story. And it's a beautiful story. And it's a story that we're going to look at pieces of over the next couple of weeks in maybe ways that you've never thought of before. But I want you to know that Jesus... He lived for you. He was betrayed for you. He was forsaken for you. He was accused for you. He was punished for you. And he didn't just die for you, although he did. He died instead of you. And that's an important reminder for us because all of those things are things we deserved in fact I would say all of those things are things that we did but we don't always associate our actions with some of those things that happen in the Bible and so over the next couple of weeks together we're going to see how sometimes we can find ourselves in places that that we didn't necessarily see ourselves in and then we better understand how God is for us and we better understand how Jesus was sent for us and how much he loves us. Today, if you have your Bible, you can scroll on open. We're actually going to jump around, and I'm going to reference several scriptures. So if you have your Bible, the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up, go to events, click on Wellhouse page. I understand there's some kind of issue in there today, but you can pull that up, even though it doesn't say it's live. Um, But you can go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 26. Uh, We're going to go towards kind of the end of of 26 here in a minute. But I want to set the stage for you in case you're not familiar with the story. The stage looks like this. Jesus has done his ministry for 30 years. He's coming to the close of it, and he knows he's going to die. So, just like anybody who's aware that their time on earth is short, they gather around the people that they love the most, and they say the most important things to them. I had the privilege of being a hospice chaplain for about six years, and it was always interesting to me that every time I would go and I would sit uh, at the bedside of somebody who was, uh, just had a few short months or few short weeks or few short days left to live, you know, we didn't talk about March Madness brackets. 
even though they might have enjoyed that for a large portion of their life. We didn't talk about, you know, American Idol or The Voice. We didn't didn't talk about any of of those kinds of things, although those kinds of things are fun. We talked about really important things that were on their heart. And this is what Jesus does. He gathers, he knows his time on earth is short. He gathers around the closest people, which just happened to be 12 guys who've been with him in ministry, who he's been teaching them and, and, and helping them along the way to understand his mission on earth. He gathers them together, and he has a last meal with them. We call that the Last Supper, where he gathers them together, and he kind of explains what's getting ready to happen. And then we we read this story that they go out from there, and he goes to a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prays. And we understand that through this prayer that Jesus isn't real excited about what's going to happen next. Right? In fact, what we read is that Jesus, he's, he's, so, in, uh, he, he's so dreading what's going to happen next that, that he sweats blood, that, that he uh, literally is kind of saying, all right, God, I don't want to do this, but I'm submitting my will to your will. If this is what has to happen, then I'm willing to do it, but I don't want to do it. And from, from time to time, he'll take a kind of a break in the prayer time, and he comes back to some of his uh, followers that he's asked to pray alongside of him, and they're sleeping, and so he wakes them up, and he goes back off to pray, and he comes back, and they're sleeping, he goes and wakes them up, which says, I could have been one of the disciples, because apparently I have that gift too, right? I fall asleep anywhere. I think it's if you're a dad, right? You just have that gift as a father. You can sleep anywhere all the time. And finally, he comes back a third time, and he wakes them up, and he explains, the hour's at hand. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. This is where the story picks up for us today. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 47. While he was still speaking, that is Jesus, Judas, one of the 12, one of those 12 people who were gathered around him for the Last Supper, who watched the last three years of ministry happen, arrived. And with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. These were the people that were threatened by Jesus. These are the people who thought he was going to usher in a, an earthly kingdom and they were going to overthrow that and Jesus would be elevated. So they saw him as a threat. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, the betrayer being Judas. And this was the signal. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. And then the man stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And the rest, as they say, is history. Jesus arrested, beaten, and then crucified. And here what we have in this story is, is so interesting. It's, the, it's just kind of the last little bits of, of Judas that we, that we uh, know about, right? That, that he betrays Jesus with a kiss, that he kind of ushers in this group of people who says, all right, here it is. We, we know the meeting time. We know the meeting place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the exact person. I'm going to betray him so that you can, you can take him off. And, and, and do what you will with him. 
And so I think oftentimes as we read verses like this, or maybe you hear the name Judas, if you're familiar with the story, your mind instantly goes to a picture or a thought or characteristics of Judas. And maybe they look like somebody who is slithery, sneaky, slimy, he's crooked. He, he may even, I mean, he's got a lot of hair, but beneath the, beneath the hair there are horns somewhere. You're just sure of it, right? He, he looks odd. He looks off. He looks like he would be somebody shifty who would just kind of always be in the corners looking about for trouble. But I think we forget a few things about Judas. Here's a few things you need to remember. Judas left everything to follow Jesus. See, there was one point in time when Jesus began his ministry that he would go up to certain people and he would say, listen, how about instead of, of doing the thing that might provide you the most financial security in your life, you follow me instead. And there were a few people who did. And Judas was one of them. He left everything to follow Jesus. Judas witnessed the miracles, the life, and the teaching of Jesus. In every story that we read where Jesus is healing people and with the sick and all the, the, the things that he taught, the Sermon on the Mount, all the amazing things that happened through the life of Jesus, Judas was there for. He witnessed. He wasn't excluded from that because of his slimy behavior, his sneakiness. He was a part of those things. And not only was he a witness to those things, in Luke chapter 9, we read that Judas was actually involved in a lot of ministry. He was actively involved in ministry. He cast out demons. He healed sick. And he preached the gospel to people who didn't know it. This is a different side of Judas that we don't always think about or talk about. In John chapter 13, verse 29, here it is. John sets the stage at the Last Supper. And Jesus is saying, listen, the, the one whom I give the, the bread to, this, this is the one who will betray me. The disciples are still not quite certain what's going on yet, but we find out something else about Judas, that he was trusted by Jesus and the other, the other 11 uh, apostles. He was trusted with the responsibility of a treasurer. He got to carry around the, the, bag, the bag of money, right? And, and whatever they did in ministry that cost them anything, Judas was the guy who held all the money. Now, who do you give the responsibility to of the person who holds all the money? You, you think about it. Somebody you trust. So, somebody who you think is above reproach. Somebody who you think, all right, listen, if, if there's anybody in the crowd who we think is responsible and trustworthy, that person gets to hold the coin. This was Judas. In fact, so much so that in John chapter 13, verse 29, when Jesus says, listen, I know you're going to betray me. And he says, whatever you're going to do, do it quick. But no one at the, at the meal understood what Jesus said to him. They're, they're saying, I can't be Judas. 
In fact, since Jesus had charged the money, some thought he was telling them to go buy what was needed for the festival or to go give something to the poor. Because apparently that's what Judas was known for. See, it never crossed in their mind. Listen, Judas is, would be, if, of any of us, if anybody was going to betray him, it would certainly be Judas. No, no, no. In fact, they were like, well, he's probably going to go something we need or he's going to go give something to the poor because that's who Judas is. Is that not a different take for you of who Judas truly is? I also want you to think about this in the life of Judas. He was not the only disciple to betray and abandon Jesus. Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 48, as Jesus is arrested, Mark records that all of the disciples leave, right? That everyone abandons him. And in fact, uh, in Matthew, Jesus prophesies, listen, they're, they're going to strike at the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. All of you will leave me. It wasn't the fact that it was just Judas who betrayed Jesus, but eventually all of them would. And Jesus himself mentions this. But I think there are some things that we have to look at because Jesus was betrayed and he was betrayed by Judas. And, and in fact, Jesus says, it'd be better for you not to have been born. And so what really led Judas astray? If he's this guy who sees all of Jesus' ministry, he, he leaves everything behind. He's a, a trusted disciple of Jesus. He goes to the point of casting out demons and healing sick and teaching the gospel. Then how does somebody who has that kind of stature fall so far? And I think it's important to notice a few things because I think we may have some things in line with Judas, if we're not careful, that can cause us the same thing. The first one is this, is that sin is both progressive and destructive in nature. It's both progressive and destructive in nature. It may be only after the fact, but as they begin to retell the story of Judas... They throw in some details for us. Now, I can only imagine why. If you, you spent three years with a guy, you really trusted him, all of a sudden he, he turns out to betray Jesus. You're going to look back and have some hindsight on some things that, that maybe you didn't notice before. The Gospel of John, the, John the writer, tells this story. And this story is uh, one of a, a woman who comes and anoints Jesus it's just shortly before he dies, she anoints Jesus with this really expensive perfume. John chapter 12, starting in verse 4, it says this, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, they're going to throw that in, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared for the poor. Now we're looking back but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag and he used to help himself to what was put in it. Now, I don't know how they know that now. Maybe they look back and they put some puzzle pieces together. But what I do know is if that's the case for Judas, 
sin is progressive and destructive. I want you to think about that in, in, uh, in your life. Did, did you ever, can you remember back to the first time when you told a lie? You think back that far? The first time you remember actively deceiving like your parents or your grandparents, or whatever. And, and the first time that you did that, you, you probably had to muster up some strength, right? I mean, you kind of like had to bolster yourself and secretly you were kind of sweating, right? And you were a little nervous. And then you probably got approached like, are you for sure you're telling the truth? And you're wondering like, why are they asking me so many questions, right? And it's because it's all over your face, right? You're not a good liar yet, yet. And then over the course of time, what happens? Oh, you get really good at it. You get so good at it, it almost seems like it's okay. Right? Because sin is progressive and destructive in nature. You think about, back about some of the things that you, you know, used to say maybe you struggled with, and now it's not a struggle because you don't wrestle with it anymore. You've given in. And in the giving in, what has it cost you? For some of you, it's cost relationships. It's cost trust. It's cost vulnerability. It's cost your good name and your character. For some of you, it's cost a conscience. Integrity. For Judas, it started slow I can only imagine, although we don't have record of this, that there was a time where he thought to himself, you know, as the keeper of the money bag, I'm sure it's no big deal if I just wind up buying myself just a little something out of there. After all, I have an extra responsibility more than anybody else in this group as the person who has to take charge of this. And so it wouldn't hurt if I benefited just a little. And as he begins to justify more and more, sin becomes progressive and then ultimately destructive in nature. But that's not the only thing that happens in the story of Judas. The story of Judas also shows us that he misunderstands Jesus' purpose. Now, this is not just true of Judas. This is true of uh, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. This is true of most of his disciples, in fact. They all think that he's going to start some kind of earthly ministry, right? Where he kind of takes the reins and takes control. That's, that's what they're waiting for. That's what this group of people has been longing for the whole time. And he wants to see Jesus take earthly control of the situation, but Jesus doesn't do this. In fact, Jesus seems oddly preoccupied with the broken and needy. And sometimes I think as, as, as church people, we have to be really careful about this. Because all the, 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 the flashy things of this world draw our attention so much. But truly, Jesus had a heart for the broken and hurting. And as a church, that's where our heart should go as well. But Jesus' followers continued to want to see him usher in an earthly kingdom where he would make all things right and good. And where there's nothing wrong with that, the, the problem is, is that that's not what Jesus' purpose was. 
I think if we're not careful, sometimes we, we can misunderstand Jesus' pur- purpose. Right? When things don't go our way. When we suffer in this life and we think, all right, Jesus, if, 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 if you were really in control, wouldn't you, wouldn't you change the situation? Wouldn't you make this thing better? Well, that's not his purpose. Well, why not? I thought, I thought his purpose was to make my life good. No, his purpose is to make you holy, not happy. And when we subtly shift that, man, we can get Jesus' purpose all kinds of mixed up. See, some of the biggest divisions can come from the smallest misunderstandings. If you've ever been married, you know that. Been there before, small misunderstanding, and all of a sudden, huge division. This is the life of Judas, a small misunderstanding. God, aren't you going to reign and rule here and now? Let's usher that in. Let's help you out. Jesus says, oh, I'm going to reign and rule, all right, just in the hearts and lives of the people who follow me. Well, that doesn't seem like a good plan. We're fallen. Why why don't you just go ahead and take control of things? No, no, no. See, that doesn't work because I showed you that through the Old Testament. Remember the law? You couldn't follow that either. So I'm changing you from the inside out. We misunderstand Jesus' purpose. We can actually be divided with our God. And this is Judas. Judas is also frustrated by Jesus' lack of action, and he tried to force Jesus' hand. Now, there's a lot of people who, who question, all right, why would Judas do such a thing? I mean, what was, what was the whole point? And I'll tell you this, and I think most theologians would agree that Judas wasn't really trying to kill Jesus. That was not his end goal. His end goal really seemed to be that he wanted, he understood Jesus' ushering in an earthly kingdom where he would once again make Jerusalem great and point people back to God. That was his thought. But Jesus is painstakingly slow at this thing, and he doesn't seem to get it. Sure, he can work miracles, and sure, people seem to love him, especially the poor and the needy and those who are broken. But the people who are in power don't seem to like him a whole lot. And if Jesus has taken three years and it seems like there's not a whole lot of movement, then what does Judas need to do? Well, he needs to force his hand. He needs to draw a a scenario in which Jesus and the religious elite finally come to see who's, who's really gaining the most power and authority. And if it is truly the Son of Man, and he's seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles at this point, so he believes it's possible, then all he needs to do is set the stage for it. See, for Judas to retain the loyalty of Jesus... Jesus needs to act and act now. He has no time to wait. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have the same problem. I know I do. Think about the things that Jesus has to do to retain my loyalty to him. Well, see, Jesus, if you, would, if, if you would just kind of answer this question for me, why is there suffering in the world? 
If he would just right this relationship for me. If he would make this situation easier. If you would make church easier, if you'd make it more convenient, if you'd make life more convenient for me, then I could be more loyal to you. And so the question that we have to wrestle with is, what does Jesus truly have to do to retain your loyalty to him? See, this is the question that if we were to really wrestle with it, I think we, we have to boil down to. And if we answer the question that we wrestled with over the past several weeks, who is Jesus really? And you answer that with, well, he's Lord and Savior. Then you already know what God has done for you through the life and work of Jesus. And that is he sent his one and only son to die for you. He died instead of you. But for Judas, it wasn't enough. It needed to be more. Another interesting thing about Judas is that nobody knew Judas's real struggles. Nobody knew what kind of lurked in Judas's heart. See, apparently he had a, an issue of stealing money, and he had had some side conversations with some people that led him to betraying Jesus. And it makes me wonder how close we are to Judas in that. Like, I wonder if there's some real struggles you've had. It's like, I pray nobody ever finds out about those things. I'll, I'm willing to, to tell the things that I can't hide anymore, but the real stuff I want to keep hidden This, this passage in John chapter 13, starting in verse 18, I think is very, very telling. It says this, I'm not referring to you all, I know uh, those who I've chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. Uh, he who shares uh, my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it happens, you'll believe who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever ex accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit, and he testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. And his disciples stared at one another at a loss as to what, which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. And Simon Peter uh, mentioned this to the disciple and asked him which one he means. Leaning back against uh, Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? What that tells me is this. Nobody at the table except for Jesus knew what Judas was wrestling with in his heart. Nobody. Nobody at the table understood the depths of the sin of Judas. No, nobody was there. See, a part of growing in our faith requires transparency. Transparency requires vulnerability, and we hate that. But transparency helps establish transformation. See, there's a part of your life that's never, ever, ever going to change until it sees light of day. 
For some of you, that's going to a counselor and saying, okay, listen, I have to finally admit this to somebody so it's going to be on your shoulders and then I can walk away. And for some of you, it's a close Christian friend who you know, listen, they won't judge me. They're going to walk through this life with me. For those of you, it might be a small group. It might be somebody here at Wellhouse. It might be somebody else. But until you get a sense of vulnerability and transparency in your life where you can walk along with somebody and be accountable to somebody else, your life will not change. There's a part of this that, that the Old Testament says, it's like ironing sharpens, like iron sharpens iron. You need that friction there. You need somebody who says, listen, how are you really? No, no, no. I mean the struggle with lying. How are you with that? How are you with the pornography? What's going on there? How are you with your faithfulness to your spouse? How are you with your words when you're around your husband or your wife or your kids? What's going on with the extra relationships you have at work? See, they won't know about it unless you are vulnerable enough to tell them. And this is the problem that Judas has. Transparency requires vulnerability, but it helps establish transformation. Last but certainly not least, Judas gave Satan access. We've been talking about this. Appreciate uh, Kyle Fleischman and his class over the last three weeks now. Uh, we've been having a class on spiritual warfare. It's kind of understanding this spiritual side that we don't always talk about a whole lot. Uh, and I appreciate him walking through that and helping us better understand those things. But we understand Luke... Uh, Chapter 22, 3 and 4, and John 13, you can look those up uh, on your own. But we're told that essentially Judas gives access to Satan in his life. That he gives him some kind of space in, in his personhood to, to work and to move. And he doesn't confront that. And I think all Satan needs in this life is a foothold. All he needs is an open door, an open window to do his destructive nature in our life. And I thought about this week and I, I thought that a hunger for success, a hunger for attention, a hunger for intimacy, a hunger for affirmation can either be filled by God or it can be fuel. For Satan. It can either be filled by God, you can allow God to fill those spaces in your life, or it will be fuel for Satan as a foothold in your life. So he gets in and begins to do his work in your life. And that's ultimately where Judas goes. Where it says Satan enters him, and the rest, as they say, is history. See, I wonder sometimes if we demonize Judas because it's easier for us to see people as either completely good or completely evil. But I think that the story of Judas reminds us that we are more complex than completely good or completely evil. That we have a spectrum, that we have a both and and if we're not careful and not aware and not 
truly honest with ourselves, then we can find ourselves in an area of Jesus being betrayed by me. And it's so much easier to say, man, how wicked Judas was. Yeah, there was a time, though. How terrible of, of a life he is. Yeah, but there was a time where he could have made some different choices. And so we are left with asking ourselves what choices we, we make. See, we know God is for us. The question is, what are we for? What are you for? God is, he's for you. He's been for you from the beginning. He's all out. He's like a parent in the stands who's beaming proud. He's got his face painted and you're who he's rooting for. He's calling out. He's wearing not number one dad shirt. He's so proud of you. And the question is, do you feel the same way about him? Are you for him? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, our Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things both now and forever.